Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andrego, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I welcome in Phil Ketchadal, who is the founder of Trained by Phil. He's also a renowned celebrity trainer with a fitness philosophy centered around accountability, education, and dedication. His empowering approach guides clients to unlock their strengths and achieve optimal health and fitness goals. Through tailored programs and expert nutritional advice, Phil helps individuals create sustainable and enjoyable lifestyles. Born and raised in Montreal, Quebec, he is a globe-trotting, food-and-language-loving serial entrepreneur. Phil is not only an NASM CPT Hollywood celebrity trainer, but also a top MBA honors graduate and cancer survivor. Above all, he takes pride in being a devoted husband and father of four. Phil divides his time between personal training in Atlanta, Georgia, and online coaching while providing nutrition and exercise consultations globally. Phil is also a host and athlete on the popular iFit platform. Outside of his health businesses, he enjoys spending time with his family, exploring new languages and recipes, and indulging in his passion for the latest tech. And we have quite the wide-ranging conversation around all things health and wellness. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, please welcome in Phil Catch it all. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. I'm, I always get jacked up to talk about health and wellness, and it's been such a huge part of my life, uh, especially as I've, you know, I'm 40 now. So it seems like I have to stay in shape or otherwise, uh, you know, the age is going to uh, pile up. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a really good discussion because a lot of friends and family I talk to, a lot of, you know, co- coworkers, et cetera, they struggle a lot. Some do great and they pick it up and, you know, they have really good diets and they're going to work out all the time. And then others I find just struggle catching on. So I'm kind of intrigued with your thoughts of why that happens. Like, why are people, let, let's take someone that's maybe they're adult, they have kids, they're working a full-time job. Why do they struggle when all the information's out there saying, hey, if you eat healthy, if you exercise a, you know, a few times a week, you're going to feel better? Why do we still struggle with that? Yeah, you know, I wish, I wish I had a silver bullet answer, but I think that's such a good question because it is true. So the data, I mean, we've always known this. It's very intuitive, but the data now with the podcast and everybody, I mean, you can't look left to right without seeing Andrew Huberman or right. David Sinclair right. or it's on Good Morning America. You know, they're talking we know you should be strength training. And finally, they're pushing that more than only cardio. We know that um, monitoring blood sugar levels and having less processed food, like we know all of these things, but I think it's just the classic, oh, like, yeah, that applies to everybody, but not me. For some reason, like we feel, and I'm saying we, because even myself as a fitness professional and expert, I'm like, oh yeah, like it's not that bad. I'll have an extra donut or Chick-fil-A or, you know, it's like, Okay, yes, there's some truth to balance and not being crazy, but we do know these things, but we feel like, oh, okay, until until the diabetes or I can't tell you how many clients come to me when they're turning 40 or 50 and they're like, oh, well, it went for my physical and like my prostate thing says I should be worried and my cholesterol's high and my lipids are high. And then they're like, my wife says I have to get into gear or my partner or husband or, you know, any combination when people see the proof or start feeling the symptoms, they're like, ah, crap. But they've known for a decade. So I don't know why other than just like, I think we just push things off to the last minute. In general, we're procrastinating creatures. The people who prepare, 
sadly, I think are the minority, not the majority. And, and I wish I had a shortcut for that, but uh, you know, better late than never. They catch on and I can and I can help and we can help ourselves. But yeah, I, I don't know other than just our silly human brains. We just procrastinate until it's it's really late in the game. Yeah. Well, it's so funny you mentioned that. And, and actually it reminded me, I was talking to my 11 year old and I was talking to my son yesterday and he brought up the strangest thing. I've never, I don't know why he started to talk about this, but he talked about like eating bad food and like a lot of sugar, you know, we're getting toward Halloween here and stuff. And, but he was asking, he's like, well, why do I like to eat sugar and like these bad foods when I know this other food is good? And I said, my, my answer to him was, well, which tastes better to you? And he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's probably the reason. It's in the short term, this tastes better, so you go for it. But in the long term, this is better for you. And one, I was so proud of him that he actually brought that up, that he was kind of like compartmentalizing yeah. that. But would you say that's maybe it's the, it's the short term win of like, ooh, this tastes good. Or yeah, I'd rather watch Netflix or, or do something else um, instead of going to the gym because that's going to be kind of hard, if you will knowing that down the road, it'll be better, but eh, it's just one day. And then it yeah. snowball snowballs. I, I would agree with that. So my son is 10 and it's very much the same thing. Like he knows about protein and chicken and broccoli. And he always laughs, dad, what are you eating? But he'll go for the Takis, the spicy things, kids. Love, everything's like, how spicy can you make it these days? And he'll understand that concept. But yeah, I do think it's something. And, and the data, they're pretty clear in terms of, I think even within our lifetimes, we're similar ages, kids, similar ages, like the social media and the the intensity um even what's the cocoa melon that kids thing where like they did a study and it changes scenes every two seconds it's like baby crack for their brain oh, really? i think we've conditioned like 20 years of children but even the latter half of our own lives to where the instant dopamine hit mm -hmm. and yeah so things that are ultra processed there's not one thing in nature in real life that has close to the level of flavor of salt of sugar of these fats so yeah it's stupid to say it doesn't taste good. It tastes delicious. I freaking love McDonald's. I always think it's silly when people, I don't like chocolate. I don't like candy. I'm like, no, no, no. You have discipline and you're telling yourself it's not healthy, but your taste buds love it. Yeah. Like, don't, don't lie. Right. So yeah, love that stuff. But yeah, I think the kids, they're super intuitive. They know. And if we can teach them young and teach them early, that's really our best case in, in terms of moving forward. Like the quicker we instill these habits. But yeah, we want the quick hit. We want the dopamine. Yeah. Do you find that, and I guess talking about, again, the adults, you know, they're working busy jobs, they got a lot of other stuff going on, but maybe that's the bridge they can cross is, hey, let me try to at least make some healthier foods for the family. And mm -hmm. now I'm I'm teaching my kids, I'm raising my kids better, but also I'm I'm not just scarfing down McDonald's every night. I actually have some some good food. I don't know. Maybe that's a, a bridge to, to start with. I work with a ton of moms and dads and couples, and I always try and say, hey, if someone comes to me, I say, do you have a partner? Do you have kids? I try and get what I call family buy-in because if you have a goal and you have two or three kids and a husband or wife or whatever, and they're doing the opposite of you, it's going to be so hard for you to succeed. So not only do I want them to support you in your goal and help you achieve it, but also like, let's get some buy-in, even if it's not the same level of discipline or they're not paying for the program or whatever. Okay. Cook healthy meals, do things together, go on family walks, take turns walking the dog, um, do like have a treat night where you can do like, Hey, we're going to have whatever we want on Friday or Saturday, mm. but Sunday through Friday, or like we'll have breakfast and lunch and we'll make dinner, the fun meal, but we have to cook it. Even if you cook it at home, it's slightly better. So yeah, I do think making things a, a community activity. And if you don't have a partner or you don't have kids, 
do it with friends, have have uh, potluck dinners, like find reasons to have community and make food and exercise the activities they were meant to be physically through evolution. We've always been creatures that are social creatures. When you isolate it all, like go to the gym alone with your headphones on alone, eat your food alone, meal prep alone, do this right. app alone, then it's really isolating and lonely. It's also really hard because you don't have anybody helping you. And you kind of need outside accountability, right? Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, can I help you with this? So, yeah, I think you're on to something with that. If we take the, and you could add to the stool here if you want, but I'll, I'll do a three-legged stool of, of nutrition, exercise, and sleep. I, obviously, they're all important, but when you're working with clients, is there one you typically start with, or is it all based on the individual? So I think, I think this is a great question. I do think it varies highly on the individual. And I do think, I do think those are the three, I mean, those are the three physical, if your mental health isn't there, which I would argue maybe it's part of it, but that's almost like a whole separate thing. Um, But if we're just talking about the body and they are interconnected, so I recognize that, but yeah, sleep, nutrition, and exercise, those, that's the trifecta. I do think in this modern age, many people severely undersleep or they severely oversleep because of depression or anxiety, but in really weird bouts, like they'll do four hours and then wake up for two hours and then they'll take a nap and then they have caffeine and Xanax and alcohol. And it's like not actually quality sleep. So I'm really big on a sleep push for anybody over 30. For people under 30, I'm really big on the nutrition part because I think a lot of people, especially in their 20s, they start making money, they have careers. As a teenager, whatever, you can kind of get away with anything. Not saying you should, but I can't tell you how many people I start training at 30. They still look good because their body hasn't fallen to crap and they're exercising. They know that part, but they have high cholesterol. They're on the pre-diabetic scale. They're like, whoa, what's like, what's happening? And I'm like, yeah, well, you never learned to eat well because you're skinny and ripped. You got away with murder, but now you have no habits. You don't know how to cook. You don't know how to eat healthy. You're eating Cheerios for breakfast and then a Starbucks thing for lunch and then Panda Express for dinner. So I do think there's maybe this age thing. So like over 30 sleep, under 30 nutrition. And I have found most people do the best at exercise, but there are some people who that's the biggest barrier to entry. So it's really individual. I, I don't think any of them will succeed if you don't have all three, but I do think that I've noticed these trends by age on which one tends to kind of have bigger leverage. Mm. Yeah, let, let's take, if we kind of take each of those maybe a little bit. So if we take exercise and I look at this as like growing up a, a tall, lanky, skinny kid. <laughs> and, you know, one of the reasons I, you know, the first rule of CrossFit, right, is you're supposed to talk about CrossFit. So I'll mention that here. <laughs> um, yep. The reason I've been doing that for almost six years is like that was for me. So talk about like differences, I think, with people like for me, it was like I got to gain strength. I want to gain some muscle because I just I've always had this body type mm-hmm. and I wanted to change that. Right. Um, and I other people obviously have, have different goals. But when we take exercise in general, what when people kind of stumble out of the gate, a lot of times it might be they have too much information. So there's the the point of like, Hey, I don't, you know, I don't have the motivation or whatever. That's one thing, but there's too much information. How do you coach them to say, this is maybe at least a first step or two to get started with exercise? Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan, uh, not to the point of, you know, idolizing or putting on a pedestal, but that atomic habits book by James clear, uh, can be a little dry, can be a little repetitive, but one of my favorite takeaways is a super easy tagline standardize before you optimize. I think in the podcast and the the 
pop culture zeitgeist right now. Everything's like, do this for 10 minutes and then do your cold sauna, do your transcendental meditation and do this, do this. If you add it up, there's a list of like 25 things you're supposed to do. It'll take three hours. Like, do you have a job? Do you have kids? Do you have a partner? You're not going to do any of it. My goal is what's the bare minimum that's scientifically effective that's going to induce physiological, so body and mental change, and that will also give you results. So that's 30 minutes, three times a week. I'm going to have somebody do 30 minutes, three times a week for a whole month. And if they can do that, they're going to see progress. They're going to feel better. They're going to, everything's going to change in just one month. Then I'm going to go up to four days a week of 30 minutes. Then I'm going to go up to five days of 30 minutes. And that's how I progress my clients at five days. Uh, that's pretty much, unless you're an athlete or you're training for a bodybuilding competition or something, I don't think anyone needs more than five days, but if their goals are like, Hey, I've lost the weight. Now I want to gain muscle. i like, I want to see how far I can push it. Then I stretch out those workouts 30, 45, an hour, you know? So it, it's really this progressive overload, the way you weight train. I also do that with time management. Like let's stick it into where it doesn't hurt and make it feel okay in your daily lifestyle. And then let's expand it. And then people, when they miss a day, A, when they have more days in a row, it's not going to be as game-changing. And B, they're like, oh, wait, something's missing from my schedule. It becomes part of their day. They put it on the calendar. I have my clients schedule their own workouts just as they would a business meeting or just as they would getting a haircut or going to the doctor. Like if you don't make time for you, no one else will. And so that's my approach. I have found it successful. Others may have others, but I, I prefer just really dialing in and making it part of your life every day. Do most of your clients, do you find they approach you with like, Hey, I, Oh, I heard about CrossFit. I want to try that. Or, you know, I really want to do running or I want to do whatever, you know, uh, Pilates, you know, yoga, whatever. Yeah. Or is it more, you're putting a calculated plan. If they're like, hey, I just want to gain strength or whatever, you might have a mixture. Like how, how do you, cause that's one of the things, again, folks I talk with, it's kind of like they pick one, Hey, I'm going to sign up for the yoga studio. So I'm only going to do yoga, right? It's, yeah. it's hard to kind of diversify, I guess. Yeah, so that's a really good point. And I have, I would say just within the last three years, so I've been training for 17 years uh, now. So like a really long time. And I've had a few pivots. I got my MBA. I did all these things. And I was the most I ever lasted was like three months at a real job before I went right back to training. It's my heart. It's my passion. It's what I do. But um, yeah, actually this shirt, iFit, it's a company. They're kind of... Um, they're separate from Peloton, very much, totally different company, but very, if you've ever been on a Nordatrack treadmill or bike, you can go with your trainers around the world. So you can jog with me in New Zealand or in the Dominican Republic, or you can do Mount Fuji or, you know, any country, any place you can name, it's, uh, they just did Everest. So it's actually with a trainer in the location. It's not a green screen and the treadmill does whatever you're doing. So if I'm jogging up a hill, the treadmill is doing the same speed and incline and auto adjust. Mm -hmm. So it's this integrated cardio system. So a lot of people online know me from that. But what's funny is I always joke. I'm like, yeah, if I weren't being paid to run, like it's not my personal favorite method. I I saw pumping iron when I was 15. My father passed away from cancer. I had leukemia as a kid. So me and my big brother were like, we are going to weight lift because to us, the idea of being strong and healthy and masculinity was we got to lift some heavy ass stuff, you know? So for me, my preference is I've made myself an expert in the realm of strength training. I have people come for bodybuilding, for bikini shows, for movies, for CrossFit, for everything. But most of my clients are just either everyday people or people around the globe online who are just saying, hey, I am already healthy, but I've been doing cardio or just yoga or just Pilates. And they're now realizing, oh man, 
I might be in shape, but I am not strong. I can't do 10 pushups. I can't do a chin up. I'm coming to you for strength. So I do, I work with people from every background, but the, the reason they're coming to me is to really enhance their strength training and their nutrition. And that's, um, but I love learning because I've learned so much from the different and I'll, I'll pick their brain. Hey, teach me a yoga thing. Teach me a Pilates thing. Teach me a core thing. And just like be the healthiest group we can. So, but going back to what you mentioned for it, it really, if you're not even doing anything, the 30 by three, you're just, you just do anything like go walk around the block if for, for 30, for 30 minutes, you know, so many people the the all or nothing binary, like flick that switch on or off that like, Oh, I don't have time. So I'm not going to do it. I don't have an hour. I can't work out. I can't do this class. If you start with 30 minutes once a week, that will actually induce change. Yeah. 15 minutes every other day, 10 minutes, four days, a week, like every, five minutes. They have shown studies that as little as five minutes repeated every day, five times seven, 35. So the threshold at the beginning is, I mean, it is nothing. It gets bigger because all of a sudden your body adapts and needs more, more, more. But that excuse, we can throw that out. Like there is no barrier to entry. You can start with as little as five minutes a day. And that can that can change your life, mostly because the first changes are going to be mental. You're going to get, you're going to feel better. You're going to want to do more. And that's the key is that it's it's this mental, physical connection that people, they don't have it. If they had it, they'd already be doing it. So creating that connection, that bridge where your mind and body connect, say, oh, this feels good. I'm feeling motivated. I'm, the hormones are flowing. You get dopamine, you get endorphins, uh, your sex hormones, testosterone goes up, growth hormone, you're aging less. Like these are actual physical things. It's not woo woo. We can measure the difference. I can't tell you how many clients we've done blood work before and after three months, six months, like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, like the the numbers show I am a healthier, younger, happier person. That's amazing. That's my favorite part of the job is seeing people just recognize the change, not just in their body, but in themselves. Yeah. And, and to underscore, you don't need to go to a gym. You could, I mean, I could jump on the floor right here and do push-ups and air squats. Like I can go walk around the block. Like we don't need to have all this equipment. Like, cause that could be the excuse. I think going back to atomic habits, you mentioned, right? It's make it easy. You know, that's one mm -hmm. of the big things, right? If, if your gym, I think, I don't know if, I think he uses this in the book, right? If, or someone does that yet mentioned the book, but if like, if your gym, you have to drive 30 minutes to, and you have to take a shower and all this stuff, like you might not go. But yeah. If, if you're literally walking out the door, that's a lot easier. Absolutely. Yeah. Make it as easy as possible. So I have a, a strength training app and programs and things. And my goal, I, I'm not gonna lie. My goal is always to graduate people to the gym mm -hmm. because it is my professional opinion that they will achieve better results quicker if their result is anything body oriented. If they simply want to feel good, be healthier and drop a few pounds, then it can be home the whole time. But if their goals are a little, you know, uh, medium level or advanced, the gym will be more efficient. But I have people who I'll do a three, six month, one year program at home. And then finally they're like, wow, I went to the gym for the first time and I didn't feel out of place and I was doing the things. And so I never want someone to feel intimidated or scared. And some people never want to go there. Just one bench or your floor or your table and a set of dumbbells. There are no excuses. I mean, I've had people do it with milk jugs with, uh, a, uh, a huge bin for moving filled up with stuff. Like we got, we've been creative over the years with people when things have come up that have been like, Oh, what I, I can't train. What am I going to do? I'm like, find something heavy, put a backpack on, let's do it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you make it fun. You make it fun. So it doesn't feel like a task or something arduous. It feels like you're, you're making your body be able to be capable at living better and stronger. 
And it's fun to see people see that so that everyday life doesn't feel as hard and difficult to go. I can do this. That's easy. I just, you know, did 300 pounds on this thing, or I just picked up my baby and backpack and went on a hike for 30 minutes. I can do this, you know? Well, and it goes back to, I think one of your things you're big on is accountability. And you you talked about, or, you know, going to the gym or going to a place, I think, can build a little more accountability. I even think about like, maybe you join a run club or you join some sort of, you know, league, something to get you out and active. But if people are expecting you to show up or, you know, you're, you're seeing people like, that's one of the things I love about CrossFit is the community aspect, right? It's not that people ask me if I haven't seen me in a week, oh, Brian, where have you been? But it is more the community aspect. So I think you hit both. Can you share a little bit about accountability and how that helps your clients? Yeah. So what's funny is I, I have done CrossFit, but I'm not a CrossFitter. But I have um, one of the biggest competitions of the year just concluded yesterday, and they also had the strongman portion. And one of my friends from home in Canada won the whole thing. And the CrossFit athletes are so amazing. But I was I was joked that CrossFit's the double-edged sword. The community, I would argue, is second to none of any strength or gym-based sport in the world, even more than any sport, like the first rule of CrossFit's tell people. But right. the amount of people it got from the couch to the gym is in the millions, is in the tens of millions. And so for that, I give it credit. I also give it credit for giving me a huge business because so many people go there and don't know what they're doing. And the gym's expanded so quickly, they don't get one-on-one attention. So the people came to me. And then sometimes it's the circular thing. So I don't I don't bag on it, but it's like, I actually think it's the synergistic symbiotic relationship to where we're all helping each other. And I've noticed it's evolved more. There's a lot more aesthetic, like shredded looking people in CrossFit. They're doing a little more bench press and stuff. It's not just all Olympic lifting. So it's it's kept up with the times, but the community is everything because- if you show up and you have people helping you, if you have people at your similar level, and it sounds mean to say this, but when you also see people below you, not in a negative way, but like, oh, wow, if they're here and they can barely do the bar and they're showing up, like, wow, like it, it's inspiring. And also it gives you a, a sense of, okay, like this is for everybody because I've been there where there's people doing the RX with the 135 push press and there's someone just with the bar with the 45. And you'll look over and someone's probably got a cute little eight-year-old kid doing it with the dummy dumbbells. And that's what it's about. It's about seeing people kick their own butts, work out hard and be healthy and push the limits. And so I think community is everything for accountability. I try to make people text me, email me. Uh, We have a phone call. I have an online fitness group too for the people who want that option. So they have their own little community of five people at a time, big enough to have more than one person checking on them but small enough to where they can actually know five people's name. When you get to 10 plus, people don't remember everybody, right? So yeah, I'm a huge community builder, even to introverted kind of shy people. I think even just pairing them with a buddy is huge. I don't think we can do it alone. Um, Or if we can, eventually you get tired or you get you get lonely. Like I do think even the most introverted people benefit from community studies support that <laughs> even if, even if they'll refute it to the death, right. uh, we people we're social creatures, we're human beings. We're not meant to be alone. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to, uh, sidestep and, and talk about the nutrition side for a minute, if we can, because obviously that's a big piece. You may not work out a ton, but if you do eat healthy, you can see results if, if you're trying to get like weight loss or what have you. Um, can you share anything? I mean, and obviously you're 17 plus years, like, what have you learned about nutrition? Let's let's take nowadays. Obviously, it might have changed over those years. But like, what are the two or three things people should be focusing on when they're thinking about, okay, how do I shop throughout the week? How do I buy the right food? Again, yes, I know I can eat just fruit and meat and veggies and those type of things. But is there anything that you would share with them 
to help yeah, in that pursuit? I think kind of as a 10,000 foot overview, the first thing that I've learned over the 17 years, I have been through, I think every single fad, even the ones from the 60s and 70s, in the last 17 years, they've all recycled. So I zone diet, Atkins diet, uh, keto, intermittent fasting, if it fits your macros, not only do I know all of them intimately, have I studied them, wrote a book about them, I've also tried each one of them for at least three months because I do think the data says one thing, but it's another thing. I want to get in that in that body, in that mindset. I even did uh, I did keto vegan, which is the friggin' hardest thing ever. And I hated it, but I did it because I wanted to know like how I feel. And I also wanted to see what the positives would be. Keto vegan was so hard. It was, I did lose muscle mass. It it was difficult to plan. It did, it took so much time. I did notice I slept like a baby, the best I've ever slept in my life. And my digestion was amazing, but there were other negatives and I ultimately went off. So like, I do think people find these certain things and they, they latch onto them. If it works for you and you feel great and you're getting the results you want, that's the goal. It's your life. But then when you, you evangelize or proselytize and tell everyone, this is the only one that works, you must do it. Like the liver king and the carnivore. Diet. That's no, no, no. Not only does science not support this, but a lot of people are going to follow that and get less healthy and feel like crap. So the, the only thing that I have found is that in terms of weight loss, we, we unequivocally know it's calories in, calories out. If you want to lose weight, you have to burn more calories and or eat less calories than you're taking in. So there has to be a negative balance. We also know that there's a certain minimum threshold, which is pretty close to 0.8 grams per pound of body fat, all the way up to 1.5 um, per pound of body weight for protein, for if you want to keep muscle or build muscle. So let's say you're 100 pounds, tiny person, but easy math. If you're 100 pounds, you need between 80 and 150 grams of protein per day to maximize the benefits of muscle on your body. The more you have, the more muscle you will grow or maintain. After 1.5, it pretty much levels off. Like, yeah, you'll get like 1% more, but it's really hard to do. Most people don't like it. So yeah, carbs, fat, protein, uh, carbs are not the enemy. You can eat carbs, continuous glucose monitors, BS marketing to scare you. All of these things out there, you want high fiber for digestion. You want moderate to high protein based on your goals if you care about having muscle mass and being strong. If you don't, you can get away with less, but don't be, don't be like alarmed and or surprised when you don't have the body. Someone comes to me like, I want to run a marathon and I'm vegan and I want low protein, but I want to look like this bodybuilder. Antithetical. Longevity-based diet. If you want a longevity-based diet, it is the opposite of having big muscles and a six-pack. Total opposite. So I think the synthesis of what I'm saying is there are so many different roads and it's completely goal-dependent. And when someone comes to me, I say, what are your three priorities with your body? Is it longevity? Is it anti-cancer? Because heart stuff runs in your family? Is it performance and muscle? And I take all that together and I explain, okay, here's what we can do. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it's going to sacrifice potentially. There's no way to guarantee the future, right? But I think we realize it's a lot more complex as my explanation would infer. And there is no cookie cutter, but overall, we know the simple stuff. Whole foods, shop outside the rim of the grocery store, right? Fruits, vegetables, high quality grains, high quality meats, all these things. Quality does matter. It doesn't have to be organic, but if everything you eat out of a package or a box, you're losing lots of vitamins and minerals because everything's processed. It has less bioavailable sources from different things. So, I mean, yeah, that's a long-winded answer, but I think we've learned that 
there's no one size fits all, but there are certain minimum thresholds. Most supplements you also don't need if you're eating well. So it's uh, it's a mixed bag, but getting nutrition is key. It is important, but I would recommend a deep dive for everybody, or at least consulting somebody like get in check with your body, see what you need. I'm an advocate for blood tests, right? If your levels are all fine, if you're healthy, you don't need to spend 500 bucks on supplements. You don't need to eat some rare super fruit that was blessed by a monk on top of a high mountain. It's, it's, they're trying to get your money. If you feel great, good. But if you don't, or if your blood tests say something's wrong, then let's fix it. So that's, that's my approach to it. I want to go back. You, you mentioned something about the continuous glucose monitors. What, what's yeah, the, I'm, I'm I, don't, I don't know much about them. I've seen them, but I'm curious your thoughts. That might be helpful. So you'll, if you see them around, like you'll see people and they get like a little patch and it physically, like it, it, it's a little needle. It clicks into your arm or your waist and it's in your bloodstream. And what it's doing is sending data to a smartphone or an app and all day it's showing when your glucose spikes. So anytime you eat carbs, basically it's gonna, it's gonna spike, but the data have basically proven the glycemic index, not that it's useless, but there, there was this huge fad in the 90s and early 2000s that if you spiked your insulin, so you had carbs, then you would hold more body fat and all this. And that's all been debunked because it, it's still, there's things that are now more important. They found out the thermic effect of food. And they found out that just because, yes, technically you're going to store a little more fat short-term, not long-term. All that to say, we don't have to get into the weeds on that, but there's this huge push that like everybody needs a continuous glucose monitor to everything and you might be getting fatter. It's just, it's scare, scare, scare. The only people who need a continuous glucose monitor are people with type one or type two diabetes, because then it will help them be healthier and stay ahead of a insulin crash or a blood sugar spike or crash. Mm. And then you go into diabetic ketoacidosis and you die very quickly. For the average person, if you're checking your thing every 30 minutes and deciding what to eat, I would argue the data is going to show people are going to get eating disorders. They're going to get so much stress and anxiety for something that's totally normal. Every time you eat a carb, the monitor is going to spike through the roof. Every carbohydrate, complex or simple, breaks down to the simple sugars at some point, so glucose, fructose, uh, sucrose or something, or sugar alcohols, and then there's going to be a spike, and then it's going to go down. So it's just, it's all the rage right now. People, the data is sleeping. Do you know how many clients come to me now that like, my sleep score was 82 and my heart rate variability yeah. and this and that, like they're overloading people who honestly, all they need to do is drink less alcohol, drink more water, drink less caffeine, drink more water and sleep more. They're spending two, three hours a day worrying about this checklist of a thousand things that apply to the top 1% of people who have already Olympic gold medals. Like I don't do any of that crap. And if I don't do that, you certainly don't to do that. Not from a condescending standpoint, but from the yeah. point of it, the big sleeping an extra hour will do more than NAD plus or IV drips or any supplement or peptide or hormone out there for health standpoint. If you want to get jacked and take steroids, that's another thing. But in terms of like health and longevity and overall person, literally none of those things apply. Yeah. And that's, I'm on a tirade against that now because I have so many people who are doing none of the basics and they're doing a weird amount of all the optimizing stuff. Yeah. It's doing nothing. It's doing nothing. Well, it goes back to what you mentioned with the James Clear thing, right? Standardize before we optimize, right? And, oh, well, I, I wore one of the, uh, the, the sleep monitors, right? For, for like six months, I tried it. And, and sleep has always been something I've worked on to try to get better and, and um, improve that. But to your point, it was always like, oh, it's like, I feel really good today. And it's saying I, I yeah. shouldn't work out today. And I'm like, 
Exactly. That, that doesn't and make it, sense. Like maybe so. And I, eventually I was just like, screw it. Like I feel good. I eat good. I, I work out like I, I don't need to look at this shit anymore. That was my that was my take on it. I stopped using my Apple Watch and heart monitor in training because I would be like, oh, did I get my heart rate high enough? Did it come down low enough? Like, I will admit there are some people out there who maybe it's beneficial, but for myself and the majority of my clients and people in my personal life, I've only noticed that the more things we add to our lives and the more we complicate it, the less quality is actually being put into the gym, into the workout, into the nutrition. You're so busy tracking and monitoring and analyzing and spreadsheeting. No one's doing stuff. They're just, they're just thinking, thinking, stressing, anxiety, anxiety. It's like, do more, talk less, analyze less. Uh, Not for everything. I don't mean not at all, but um, I think we, we swung the pendulum from like caveman to super processing quantum computer level in our brains of what's necessary. And a compromise has to come back in the middle is, is where I'm coming from. Yeah. Well, it goes back to like, it's, it's the simple things typically. And, and to your point, if it's like, if you're not getting good sleep, yeah, what are the basics? Maybe I'm sitting in front of my screen right before I go to bed, right? Am I staying up too late? Or am I not going to bed at the same time every night? Like all these things, I'm drinking, I'm eating too late. Like you can list five or 10 things. Most people don't look at those. It's like, oh, it tells me I'm not sleeping well, but they don't look at the other things for some reason. It just seems so simple to look at those, you know? It's so true. Yeah, yeah. We want we want the easy answers. And it's all connected to that first question about we know better. Why don't we do better? Yeah. I wish I had the answer as to why. And even for my own self, there's some days like, oh, man, I already know this. But why is it so hard? I know this. I do this. Why is it so hard? And I think that's just part of the human condition. It's just every day is is a new opportunity to choose and do better. And it's up to us. And if we have community and accountability and support, and we also make some plans and we make some time and we schedule things, it's more likely to happen, but nothing's guaranteed. We do the best we can. If you mess up today, start tomorrow. Don't wait till New Year's. Don't wait till your birthday. Don't wait till some spe- like if you mess up today, just start tomorrow. Every day is a fresh, complete new page in the book, in my opinion. What you mentioned supplements. I'm just curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, we don't have to take what's what's that guy's name? Brian Johnson that takes like 120 pills a day. Oh, That's yeah, it's absurd. So um, like the but what, like, are there one or two that most people should be taking just on yeah. an average? I mean, no supplements I don't think are necessary unless medically, like I said, if you go get a blood test and you're deficient in something, it will enhance your quality of life and your health to, to do that. But for most people, protein is a supplement, protein powder, protein bars, protein shakes. Nobody needs them, but it's a lot easier and more convenient to hit your protein goals and to get the the level of protein you require, unless you're out there or you have a private chef. Like I've seen some stuff in my days, but like, I don't have that. So I need a protein shake in a bar to account for 60 grams of protein a day, or I don't want to eat three chicken breasts or extra turkey or uh, on the vegan side, like more seitan or tofu or whatever. Like I'll eat everything. I'm, I'm an omnivorous and I have a balance and sometimes I'll have fast food. Like I live my life, but protein, I would say is a staple because if you don't have it, your likelihood of hitting your protein goals is very, very low. And if you can do your protein goals without it, kudos to you. That's not most people. Uh, Creatine monohydrate. If you're strength training or doing any sports, it is absolutely proven to be safe and effective. You'll get a little more strength, a little more endurance. And there are new studies coming out that independent of any uh, muscle, there are actually focus and cognitive benefits. And they're doing that with older people. Also in uh, women over 50, they're finding, hey, 
this is actually leading to stronger ligaments, tendons, and bone and cartilage. So less sarcopenia, less bone problems, maybe could be something useful in perimenopause or menopause. So creatine got demonized in the 90s. It's a natural amino acid. It's not anabolic. It's not a steroid. Creatine is totally safe and fine, five grams a day. So those are my staples for everybody, protein and creatine. If you don't eat any seafood, some studies support omega-3. I like a high quality one that uh, tastes crappy and like fish oil, but it's healthier. Keep it in the fridge. So those are the big three. Pre-workouts, everyone asks about that because life is stressful. I will admit they work. They are terrible for you. They will ruin your sleep. They will make you a slave to them. And then you can't work out without them. So take that for what it's worth. Like I took pre-workouts for 14 years and it's like weaned myself off. I'm like I can't work out without them. Now I just take an espresso shot. I love coffee, two cups a day max, not after two. I, I've, I'm able to do everything and get sleep at the same time. Some of them are stimulant free. The, the jury's out on those. Um, but yeah, I mean, really it's just those three. And then multivitamin, athletic greens, all of those greens, in all likelihood, you're paying for expensive pee is my joke. However, they also aren't going to hurt you. So if if you get the placebo effect or you swear you feel better or you take it and it makes your day less stressful, you're like, got my base covered, go for it. Nothing wrong with that. So essentially there's like five supplements I dance around with um, on a on a essential staple to totally fine, but maybe worthless, but it's not going to hurt you. Almost everything else is a blanket no, a case-by-case basis or there's not any research supporting it. And yet somehow it still sells billions of dollars and boggles my mind, but I'm always on the latest for that. I love looking into that. There's a few new ones coming out that have some uh, uh, like real good coverage on Peter Atia. So I'm like always looking into that, but it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, those are the ones we know of. So those are the ones to start with. Don't worry about anything else. NAD plus all these fancy things, these IVs. Don't worry about that for now. Again, it goes back to that's optimizing. That's maybe a different level. You know, yeah, different you know. level. Unless you have a like a six pack sleep nine hours a night, you feel no stress. You can meditate and have no thoughts. You have all your protein. You can run forty five minutes without passing out and lift your own body weight and squat, bench press, and deadlift. Like unless you can hit what is a foundational healthy mind and body person, don't spend a thousand bucks on weird stuff. It won't work. Mm-hmm. What are uh, are there certain myths? that you're hearing out there. It seems like there's always like these new things oh. that people come out with. Any any you'd share that maybe opens someone's ears like, oh my God, I, I, mean, I, I thought that was true. From a nutrition standpoint, from a nutrition standpoint, fasting and intermittent fasting and autophagy, cell regeneration, like this is getting all the buzz right now. And um, not to say it doesn't work, but when all variables are held equal, intermittent fasting works no better or worse, the exact same amount as somebody doing three or five meals a day. If you equate the calories and you equate the protein and the carbs and fats are different, but the total calorie and protein are the same, one meal a day, five meals a day, three meals a day, all that doesn't matter. The amount of fat and muscle loss or gain, the same. Um, so fasting, intermittent fasting, and then autophagy, like which is cell regeneration if you starve yourself. Okay, but autophagy is always happening and it also happens overnight. And there's no studies showing any benefits long-term. And then uh, I always joke like, okay, if you do the longevity Sinclair diet, which turns off mTOR and it's one meal a day, really low protein, okay, you might live, maybe there's no way of proving it because they haven't studied it yet. You may live 10 years longer, but 
if your muscle mass is so low that you fall and die from breaking your hip right. or you right. like, I would rather live. What, what does one of the guys say? I'd rather live to 90 surfing in the ocean, have a heart attack than live to 110. But my last 30 years are in a wheelchair, right? Like, so this whole new uh, discussion, I love it. Lifespan is how long you live, but health span is how long you live with the quality of life of doing what you want. I'm an advocate for that, for like having a healthy, strong body, having balance, not being obsessive, the amount of people who have eating disorders, but don't even realize it because they haven't had like anything fun in 20 years. Life is short. Don't make it any shorter on purpose, but uh, also don't extend it out and drag your pain and misery and like say no to every party, every person, every function, family gatherings. My, my standpoint for everything is about balance. So yeah, these myths, everything for me lately, at least on my feed and algorithm and all my clients, there's all these all or nothing on fasting that you need all these weird glucose monitors, uh, the liver king and the eating organ meat and the carnivore fad, that's huge right now. Um, the pesticide organic thing, like that's going to be a debate forever. I don't have any affiliation. I'm not being paid by anyone. But again, if you're eating everything out of a bag, probably bad for you. If your apples and pasta are not organic because you don't want to spend 850 and you have family to feed, you're going to be fine. So like, I just, I think the sensationalism of everything, uh, but especially fitness and wellness, it's, it's almost now a trillion dollar market. So I know why everyone has to stand out and make your money and take your money. But, uh, the, the data support almost none of it. So that, that's all my, my cautionary tale, like, leaving would be even the most experty expert person that's selling you on something it may not be the case uh and maybe maybe do a little deeper dive or don't waste your money yeah well again it goes back to and it's always like the simplest answer is the right one it's as you're saying you know work out three times a week for 30 days start there go around the outer rim of the of the grocery store have some you know some fruit vegetables some you know some meat whatever if you don't eat meat then obviously try to get your protein and then try not to eat alcohol or drink alcohol and, and maybe yeah, eat, you too, eat it too, those frozen can, alcohol. Yeah, there you go. Sure, I'm sure you can. <laughs> but, you know, get try to get your quality sleep. Like, again, the simple answer here, it's not, you don't have to overcomplicate if you don't want. And I think that's, that's again, go back to the first question. I think there's where, where a lot of people struggle is they, they hear so much out there. And sometimes they don't go back to just the simple of like, let me just start today and let me walk around the block and let me get some good sleep. And maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And then the uh, the three pillar, right? That that stool there. So we have exercise, nutrition, and then we have sleep. And then the other thing I would add would be find one person in your life, that community, that accountability. So whether it's your partner, your best friend, your mom, whatever, find someone and tell them this is my goal or I want help with this. If you get if you get somebody on your team, it's going to be so much easier. And they say, like, "Hey, want to go for a walk with me?" Or here's another example: if that person happens to not be in state or in country with you, it's a really easy way to kill two birds with one stone. So what I've started doing with clients, if they don't have a dog or something else, go for your 30 minute walk. Call your mom. Call your sister. Call your girlfriend. Call like find ways to put the exercise and the community together, even if it's not in person. Uh, one of my clients, they do the same workout and they all three are in different places and they're clients of mine online. And then they text and have like a three-way call video conferencing thing. Depends if it's a treadmill workout or if it's a weights workout and they do it together, even though they're totally separate. And they've like created their own little thing. Like, thanks, Phil. I'm like, I didn't, have, I didn't even suggest or have anything to do with that. And so, and guess what? The likelihood of them all showing up is so much higher. The amount of times people are like, if I didn't have to show up for you because I wanted to 
please you and also because I'm paying you and also because I have this sense of like wanting to do a good job, I would have slept in bed. And that's another one of those human conditions. Like I would sleep in bed for myself, but if I told someone else I'm going to be there, I want to show up. I don't want to let them down. Yeah. And sometimes people pleasing can be a bad thing, but in a lot of instances in this, it's actually a really good thing in this instance, keeping us accountable because we want to help each other. And that's a good way where the, the uh, peer pressure in a positive way is, is um, study supported as being a good thing. Well, and, and just to underscore there, I think, and this goes back to what we talked about, maybe there's that fourth leg of the mental health. If someone doesn't show up for a couple of days, now you have that team, that accountability, those partners to say, you know, hey, Phil, what, what, why don't you, everything all right? Are you yeah, okay? That makes you know what such, I'm saying? So that like, makes, I think having true. that, because yeah, if you're alone and you're like, oh, I can't do this, whatever, go out and again, find some accountability partners that may help you, you know, yeah. move forward. Oh, I think, uh, thank you for bringing that up. That's actually a great point. Yeah, to go check, make sure everything's okay. Sometimes things are great and they got busy and you've inspired them to get back. And sometimes things are not great and they'll be appreciative that you noticed and that you were there. Yeah. So it's a win-win either way. But yeah, these are all these are all critical points. And I wish the culmination of all of them where I could be like, hey, trained by Phil, Phil tells you this one answer. There is none, but the, the closest you and I got today, Brian, the closest we got is we know these are the things, we know we have to do them. And the simplest way is pick one, pick one of those pillars, tell someone about it and start right now. Finish the podcast and start right now figure out who your person's going to be and whether it's telling them I'm going to exercise better or eat better or focus on my sleep. And is it okay if I tell you about it? They're not going to be like, no, you suck. They're going to say, oh, that's cool. Sure. I can help you with that. And maybe, maybe they'll even be like, oh, me too. And then you've inspired someone else and it's this pay it forward kind of health situation. So yeah. that would be uh, my hope for everybody from their takeaway. Yeah, that's awesome. No, this is a lot of fun, man. Anything you would add onto our conversation? Anything else you would uh, you would share that'd be helpful for folks to get started? I think in terms of getting started, the biggest thing is knowing that there's no perfect time. Literally for anything in life, there's no perfect time to get a crazy weird disease. There's no perfect time to buy a house. There's no perfect time to get married, to have kids. And there's certainly no perfect time to start eating well and exercising when you're you're a consultant, you're traveling, or your wife is pregnant, or you're this or you that, like, you're always going to be busy. And if you can't work out or find time, at least 30 minutes, three days a week when you're busy, basically, there'll never be time because you're more likely to always, you'll have one or two weeks where you have downtime, but most of the time, you're going to be busy, 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 retired, dead. <laughs> and that's, that's our life. And that's a good life. Because if you're sitting there doing nothing, you're not, you're not enjoying it, probably, you're not probably feeling productive and connected. So find a way to schedule it in your calendar. I'm a huge advocate for you putting yourself on your calendar. I put my workout, Phil's leg day, whatever this time. Like I write my workouts in my calendar. If I don't, I have three businesses, bajillions of clients online, a wife, four kids, like six animals. I have such a busy life that if I don't make time for myself, the whole world's gonna eat me up. Everybody needs me. And, yeah. and it's exciting and I'm grateful to have a busy, fun, fulfilling life. But I have gone weeks or months without workouts when that's, that's part of my identity. That's who I am. So if I forget myself, no one's there telling me, Hey, you, you know, so that's, that's my advice is sit down right now, find your person, get an accountability partner, put it on the calendar and start today to make your life better with one choice. And then just add one more 1% every day. James clear. That's another uh, throwback to the atomic habits there. Yeah. If you had 1% per day, 
for one little choice or one little step, it's a lot easier than trying to take it all at once tomorrow. That's awesome, man. All right. So your website, trainbyphil.com, where can, where do you, what watering holes are you on in social? Do you get, you get any of those? I'm on, I got lucky somehow no other fills out there. I'm trained <laughs> by Phil on everything. Okay. Far, by far, by far. Instagram is like where I'm at all the time. I do free question and answers. I do online training, both personal and um, group settings. I do anything you can name on Instagram. So trained by Phil and yeah, trainedbyphil.com kind of just has like my media press stuff, the cool things I've done. It's like a big portfolio situation, but yeah, I do all my own social media. So if you connect with me on Instagram, it's not AI. Uh, I love AI for certain things, but for my fitness business, I've made a hundred percent pledge. It will never be AI. I really believe in the personal part of personal training, the human connection. The difference is that I care and that I want to know about your journey, not a robot saying, here's some awesome stuff to eat and some exercises to do. There's no heart in that. So yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys there. And you got the new, you have an app out as well, right? I do. Yeah. Um, it's called S1 Health and Wellness. Okay. Thanks for the shout out there. Kind of going back to what I said, my goal is to graduate people to the gym, but S1 Health and Wellness, you'll see it on my personal, uh, we're posting about it, but basically it's really focused on beginner strength training. I noticed there's so many out there and people who've never lifted weights before or strength trained at home. They open the app up and immediately it's like some shredded eight pack chick or some like yoked juice guy. And they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Or it's got a barbell on day one. They're like, oh crap. Or conversely, it's like only body weight stuff, which I would argue is not as efficient and effective. So mine is weights, but it's just saying, hey, with a pair of dumbbells and a structure and program where in every video it's me and my female counterpart showing you and walking you through the workouts, it kind of feels like having a personal trainer but for a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the cost. Our goal is basically making strength training at home and at the gym accessible for everybody. So yeah, S1 for step one, healthandwellness.com. Awesome. Phil, thank you so much. I always love talking about uh, these topics. So uh, this is a lot of fun. I appreciate you sharing your expertise and uh, coming on and joining. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I hope uh, we can keep spreading the word out there of, of helping people navigate their lives better. Hey everyone, and just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.